Amen. Good morning, church. All the spiritual blood is pumping now after that song, huh? Uh, If you're visiting, maybe this is your first time here. Welcome. Glad you could uh, come and worship the Lord with us. Maybe you're just investigating. Maybe somebody dragged you here. Uh, It's not by chance uh, that you're here. The Lord has a message for you, no doubt, today. Uh, Amen? Amen. So, um, let's get Bibles into everybody's hands. Uh, if you've got some type of device, pull up your Bible. John chapter 5 is where we'll be. If you need a Bible, I uh, didn't bring anything with you, then put your hand up. Guys in the back will bring one to you. So let's get into the Word, right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we gather this morning uh, not in the name of Calvary Chapel or Chuck Smith or any other human being. Lord, we gather in your name. We want you, above all, to have the preeminence among us, Lord. Not a pastor, not a leader, but you, Lord. Because it's only you that are worthy. Lord, no other human being died for my sins. No other one has given me life. Just you. So, Lord, it's you we sing to. It's you we sing about. It's you that we worship. It's you we want to know. We consider all the other things in our life to be rubbish and garbage compared to the excellence of knowing you, Lord. So as we open up your word, we just gather with all of the other churches, Lord, recognizing that there is one Father and one Spirit and one baptism and one God and Father of us all. And we join with that understanding together this morning in your word. Asking you to enlighten us, Lord. Asking you to open our eyes to see wondrous things in these last days. And it's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, we're in John, the fifth chapter. If you've been coming here for a few weeks, we're, we're just, we start in chapter one and we work our way all the way through to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, watching the story unfold, uh, watching as John presents to us. Jesus, the Son of God, why is he doing this? He, he has seven specific miracles that he has outlined and, and pointed to through the, throughout his gospel. And there's a purpose, and those of you that have been coming know the purpose, is so that we might what? That we might believe. Because by believing or in believing, we can have life. Life in his name. And, and that's what John you know when you get something and, and you know it's good, you tell other people, don't you? Maybe are, are you the kind of person that does that when you discover something that's awesome? Maybe it's a new recipe. Maybe it's a, a restaurant that you've eaten at. And you just got to let people know, man, you'll tell them all over on Facebook how great this thing is. And you'll like it on Facebook. And, and you want people to know. And that's how John feels about Jesus. He has been so impacted by Jesus' life. And he's been transformed. And he wants you to know how you can have life by believing in who Jesus is and who Jesus says he is. So we've been in the courtroom, sort of uh, speaking, with uh, Jesus. He had healed the man by the pool of Bethesda, and he did it on the Sabbath, and that caused quite a controversy. And so we're, we're sort of seeing Jesus... Um, on trial, as it were, by the Pharisees, the religious people, and the accusation is that he has made himself equal with God. That's the accusation. And and then Jesus says, I'm guilty as charged. 
Right? He never denied it. And we went through, last week, we went through all of the things that Jesus said, hey, the Father does this and I do this. The Father does this and I do this. The Father says this and I say this. The Father deserves honor. I deserve honor. The, the Father is the judge. I'm a judge. So all these things he go through, goes through. And the natural response to his own testimony is the belief that he, is, he and the Father are one and the same. They're equal. So he gives this testimony himself in court. So the first witness on the stand is Jesus himself. And he, he says what he needs to say. He confirms their accusation. But this is Jesus we're talking about. Now, people get pretty deluded about themselves, can't they? Any of you guys watch American Idol? Are willing to admit that you watch American Idol? Okay, we watched that for the first couple of years. And it was just amazing to see people come and say, oh, yes, I'm the next American Idol. And then they get up there and sing. And it was terrible. And you think, how did you think that you were the next American Idol? Because you've got some, uh, a, a voice teacher that's telling you how great you are. Your parents told you how great you are. But we can easily, as individuals, become delusional about how great we, we are, right? Even if we're not like completely off the chart delusional, sometimes we can embellish, can't we, folks? I mean, we like to just stretch the story a little bit. And someone who's delusional kind of thinks that they're greater than they are, thinks that they're someone famous or, or have some special ability or power. And so, okay, Jesus is bearing witness to himself. But they could say, well, Jesus, how can we trust you? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a self-witness. And, and people aren't always accurate. Do you know anybody that's been like that? That's someone who thinks of themselves a certain thing and they're really not accurate in what they think about themselves? And even the Jews would say, uh, according to their scriptures, that it's by the mouth of two or three witnesses that a matter is established. So, so Jesus begins in, uh, or well, continues, I should say, in John 5, 31. And he says this. He says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, Jesus is not confessing to be a liar. <laughs> it may read that way. But what he's saying is, if I bear witness to myself, he recognizes that my own witness about myself isn't valid in a courtroom. My own wit- what I say about myself isn't a trustworthy testimony because maybe I'm lying. Now, Jesus is not saying he's lying, but that's the idea about a person testifying about themselves. So they could write that off easy. So Jesus, if you're, maybe he's delusional. Maybe, you know, why are you here? Why do you come to church? I mean, are, are you like so many that think that, well, Jesus was a good teacher, but he's definitely not God. Maybe a, a smart man or a wise sage, but definitely not God. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic or delusional on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So C.S. Lewis gives this, you know, commonly uh, quoted presentation of Jesus was either a, a lunatic 
or he was a liar, or he was really the Lord. And so as he's on the witness stand, the question would be to a delusional per- person, well, does anybody else believe what you believe about you? Is there any, can you call anybody else to the witness stand? You know, a delusional person, typically, they're the only ones that believe it. Other people kind of see it and, um, and know that they're wacky, especially friends and family. So he says, there is another who bears witness of me. That's verse 32. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John. Now that's John the Baptist. And he has borne witness to the truth. Okay, so the, the first, so Jesus was the first witness. John the Baptist is the second. And see how many times the word witness is used here. The word witness is, is a courtroom kind of word. It's someone who tells what they've seen or, or what they've uh, experienced firsthand. And witness, uh, firsthand witnesses are very powerful in a courtroom. And so he calls to the witness stand, John, and so, oh, eight times, by the way, eight times in this passage the word witness is used. And, and we know, uh, we read about John the Baptist. John the Baptist and Jesus were related. They were cousins. Uh, John was born first. He's about six months older than Jesus. He begins to preach out in the wilderness. He wears camel's hair, and he's got this, you know, eating wild locusts and, and honey. And he's just a wild man, a wild preacher. And wildly famous, too. Many people, multitudes are coming out to him. Even the Pharisees came to hear him preach. And, and all that was fine until he began to call people to repentance. And then they weren't sure they liked his message anymore. And some people are, are like that in church, aren't they? They love to sit. As long as the, the preacher is preaching on, on good things and, and happy things, then, then, oh, we love to hear him. But as soon as he starts to preach on sin or judgment, or repentance. Oh, I don't, I don't like going there. That, he's a hellfire and brimstone. But you know, I was accused of being a hellfire and brimstone preacher one time. I mean, some of you that know me know that that's crazy. But I was preaching in First Peter through a list of sins. And people had come for the first time to the Bible study. And that was just what the word of God was saying. But they didn't like to hear that they needed to repent of their sins. So John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist spoke about Jesus and said, there's coming one after me who was before me. And he also said, prepare the way of the Lord. So he knew exactly who Jesus was, which is a very powerful testimony because they were related. So here's a relative agreeing with, you know, what some might say was Jesus' delusional thought, but John the Baptist knew exactly who he was. So John the Baptist has borne witness to the truth. Verse 34. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So again, for a time, they, they gloried in his message. Many people were gathering. It was wonderful. But as soon as he started uh, talking to them about their own lives, their own repentance, uh, they didn't like what he had to say. I like what he says here. He says, I do not receive testimony from man. So it's not, it's not that Jesus needs people to, to say who he is, to confirm who he is. Why is he going through all this? Why is he even bother, bothering with this whole courtroom game kind of thing? Because he wants them to be saved. That's what, he, that's what Jesus wants. 
That's why he's going through all this. That's why he's putting up with their questions, putting up with their accusations. Because he wants me and you to read this and to think about the evidence for who Jesus is. You see, some people will say you're delusional because you believe in God. And there's no evidence for it and you can't substantiate it. I read all kinds of stuff on the internet last night about how people say that you and I are delusional. And they're all atheists and evolutionists, no doubt. Believing the same thing, that there's, there was goo. And then goo became life. And then life became trees. And monkeys became people. And, and they say, we're crazy. I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Yeah, but Jesus, that's another human being. Maybe you've got him fooled too. Let's throw out, they're going to throw out all of these witnesses. No matter how many witnesses Jesus brings, they're going to throw them out. Okay, we could, Jesus is assuming, and he understands, there's a, there's a, a witness in John, but let's, let's put that one aside. Maybe you can write him off. I've got one greater than that. I have a greater witness, verse 36 says, than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Okay, so we throw John's testimony out. The next testimony is the things that I do. I mean, if I claim to be a surgeon, then I ought to be able to surge, right? I ought to be able to operate. I ought to have, you know, a scalpel, and a stethoscope, and all, I ought to have all those things, and, and then not just have those things, but I ought to know how, I ought to be able to demonstrate that I know how to use them. So if I say to you, hey, did you know I'm a brain surgeon? Really, Steve, are you really? That's nice to hear. Uh, no, really, I am. And then I invite you to UVA where I practice, and, uh, and I go in, and I know people there, and then you come into the, and you watch me perform surgery. And you'd say, well, I'll be. He's really a surgeon. Right? Okay, of course I'm not. So, you know, but there have been delusional people that have dressed up and presented themselves as doctors in hospitals. Do you know that? And they pull themselves, they pull off the act uh, pretending to be, they better not be operating on me is all I have to say. So Jesus says the works, look, you you can look at what I do. And I in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John in an earlier chapter, had healed the guy that was by uh, the beautiful gate, if you remember that story in the book of Acts. And they heal this guy, and he gets up, and he jumps up, and he runs around. He'd been lame and sitting there for years and years. And then they're, they're bringing accusations against Peter and, and John, and, and there's the guy who was healed, standing there. And they're, look, they're looking at him, and they go, well, how can we argue with the fact that this guy was healed? I mean, whatever we want to say about Peter and John, the reality is, this guy's healed, and you can't argue with that. And I don't, I don't know what people want to say about Jesus, uh, but the evidence is right here in my life. Some of the greatest evidence. And isn't this what the Bible says in, in the book of Acts, that I pour out my spirit, and you will be my witnesses. So not just John the Baptist or the works of Jesus, but the works of Jesus in my life. My, I was healed. My broken heart was put back together. My shattered life was made whole by Jesus. So you can believe what you want to believe about Jesus. 
but I'm telling you what he's done for me. How do you argue with that? How can, how can you say, no, I don't believe it, no, uh Of course not. So this is what um, Jesus is saying, these works, and he, there, he, there he was healing this guy on the Sabbath. And we'll see him call Lazarus out of the grave. And we'll see these various, the seven miracles that he does through the Gospel of John. And we'll see these things that, that he does that testify for sure who he is. The very works, and on the cross... What did he say? It is finished. The work, Jesus didn't come to just get something started. He came to finish what the Father sent him to do. And he finished it on the, the final work. Was he, he rose from the dead. How do you argue with that? I mean, what do you say to that? The Apostle Paul said, look, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then let's all go home. It's been a fun delusion together, but it's, a, it's fake, it's false. Let's go home. But the fact is, Jesus Christ, in the, they, just in this passage before, Jesus said, the Father has given me to have life in myself. So they tried to kill life. How do you kill life? You can't kill life. Jesus had life in himself, so when they killed him, guess what? He came back to life. Why? Because he had life in himself. He had the source in it. He was the source. So the works, the, whatever you claim to be, if you claim to be a surgeon, you claim to be a mechanic, you claim to be a whatever it is, there ought to be some things that you can point to to say, see, here's the proof. And that's what Jesus says, these works. Verse 37, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. So John the Baptist, Jesus' works, and who? And the Father himself has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So it's not exactly sure. Uh, Commentaries differ on this. He says, uh, you know, you have the witness of the testimony of the Father. He's testified of me. You haven't heard his voice at any time or seen his form. Now, God did speak about, who, about Jesus, right? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, spoken after his baptism. So it was an audible voice from heaven. Those that were there heard it. Um, he says to them, you, you haven't seen God's form. No man can see God and live, is what the Bible says. So although they hadn't seen him personally or heard his voice audibly i think what jesus is saying is verse 38 but god's word that they did have always is testifying of jesus and we'll finish that thought down toward the end but he says here's the problem you have his word in your head but not in your heart you do you don't you don't have his word abiding in you because whom he he whom you sent him you do not believe Back in, in the Old Testament, back in Deuteronomy, Moses talks about raising up a prophet, one that speaks for God, and, and that when you hear him, you, you'll know that he's speaking for God. And so when a, person speaks, when a person gets rejected who's speaking for God, guess who's being rejected? God himself. If God tells a person what to say, and that person is a messenger, and that person says it, and people reject that, it's not there. We feel, sometimes you feel, this is why you don't witness to people. 
Samuel had to understand. Samuel, the prophet in the Old Testament, had to understand this. God said to him, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So when you share with someone your faith, you take that risky thing, you put yourself on, on the line there, and you tell someone about Jesus, and they reject you, who are they really rejecting? They're rejecting God himself. They're rejecting Jesus, not you. Well, I mean, indirectly, they are rejecting you. They rejected him. They're going to reject you. So if, if being popular or if, if everybody liking you is an issue for you, then Christianity may not work out so well for you. Right? I mean, it's, it's because we serve a rejected Savior. We serve a marginalized man. We serve a, a God who was not accepted. And so we have to recognize that then that's going to be part of what we see in our lives. But here's the issue again. You don't have his word abiding in you. And the, the proof of that was they didn't believe. They didn't have God's word in them. Verse 39, they searched the scriptures. And, and we searched the scriptures. They, they, they studied the word of God. They, they studied their Old Testament. I mean, they knew it back and forth and inside and out. Because they thought that if I, if I read it and I know it, then that'll bring me life. And if I follow all the rules, then I'll have life. Do rules ever bring life? Rules don't bring life. And this is what they thought. And, and some Christians are like that too. We worship the Bible. And we're all about our... And Bible studies are a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But you have to know where they're pointing. Right? You know, at Christmas time, one of the things we do at Christmas with the kids is we have like... The final gift, you know, maybe some of you guys do something like this. The final gift is sort of hidden, and we lead them on a little scavenger hunt with clues to find that, that final gift. And imagine if the kids, like one Christmas, they just decided to memorize all the clues. Dad, we've got all the clues memorized. Well, why are you still sitting on the couch in your pajamas, you know? Get after it. Go, go follow the clues and go where they take you. You see, they looked at the Bible, not to say finding Jesus is like a scavenger hunt. Please understand my illustration. The point is... The things that were supposed to point them to Jesus. Instead, they, they, they got wrapped up in memorizing and learning those things. And never followed them to where they pointed. They searched the scriptures. The apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He knew God's word inside and outside and upside down. And what did he say? All of that stuff that I had, all that stuff that I was, is all rubbish compared to the excellence of of the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. Just to know him. Do you know him? Or do you just know a lot of facts about him? Do you search the scriptures because, hey, you know, you, you feel pretty good about knowing Bible facts and you can memorize passages and none of that stuff is wrong in and of itself. All that's wonderful. But if you don't know him, you've missed the point. I mean, imagine if you had a, a, a terminal illness and you began to study medicine, and, and you got medical textbooks, and you went to med school. And you learned all about the body and healing, and you learned all about medicine. You learned all about cures. You could know all about the cure for that thing. But never actually take the cure yourself. You can have all the facts about the body, all the facts about healing, all the facts about medicine. Jesus said it's, it's, it's not the, the healthy people that need a physician. It's the sick. And the Bible points out that we, I mean, we know we are sick people. <laughs> Somebody say amen. I mean, we're sick people. You, you know you. You live with you. 
we need a doctor. So they, they search. I hope that, that Bible study for you is more than just uh, searching the scriptures in them, thinking that you would have eternal life. But he says, these are they which testify of me. They're, they're pointing to me all throughout the scriptures, the whole counsel of God, all pointing to Jesus. And, and we're supposed to see that. I mean, it's a real, it's a real, nowadays, it's a real dangerous thing. You know, you got to have, um, if you have your kids picked up from school by someone besides yourself, the school like has to know who is it that's going to pick up my kids or your kids from school because they don't want to give them to the wrong person, right? We know how dangerous that is these days. So, you know, I call up the school and I say, okay, here's, I can't pick up my, my son today, but here's a description of the person that's coming. They're going to drive this kind of car to the left. I mean, it's going to be this exact kind of car, uh, a, a black Hummer. Yeah, how about that? A black Hummer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> chrome wheel. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and they're going to be wearing, you know, blue jeans and a, and a you know, blue, po- Wrangler blue jeans, size 32, whatever, whatever you know, this uh, they're gonna, a whole thing outline, and they're going to come. And not only that, but it's my twin brother looks just like me. And I'd say that that school would, would pretty much know when that per- that's the person right there. And you see, all of the clues all, are adding up to point everybody to Jesus. So was it that they didn't have information? So why don't people come to? So why don't people respond when they hear? Why don't they see the evidence? Is it because the evidence is, is lame? Is it because the evidence is poor? Is it because there's not enough evidence? What does the next verse say, folks? Verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. See, it's not a matter of, of, of the head. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of to come to Jesus takes humility, doesn't it? They would have... They, they had all their religious system worked out. They knew how they were going to, you know, be important in front of other people's eyes. They loved all that stuff. They would not humble themselves and come to Jesus. And you can't, until you're willing to humble yourself, admit that you're guilty. And, and, then, and admit also that Jesus is your salvation, then, then you won't come. You won't come. Because... Not because there's not enough evidence, but because you're just not willing. Now, I would love to have a, a handle on the willingness switch in your life. I've said that before. I wish I could reach into your heart and flick the switch and make you willing. But I can't. Only the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God speaking to you, wooing you, drawing you to God. And then you laying down, repenting, laying down your life. And, and just falling on your knees before Jesus. He says, you're not willing, this is their issue, the, the Pharisees, they were not willing to come that they would have life. And I hope you are, folks. This is, you know, when, when we, all kidding aside, when we boil all this church stuff down, this is the bottom line, that you come to Jesus because that's where life is. If you expect the church to give you life, if you expect church relationships to give you life, if you expect Bible study. You know, a lot of people, we look at church like a self-help group. You know, I just need a little help with my family. I just need a little help over here. You know, I'm going to get those things fixed up. And you know, I'm going to search the scripture, see what God says about this area of my life. And, and then I'm going to be okay. But it's about, life. it's about real wholeness and spiritual life for you. And there's only one source for it, and that is Jesus Christ. Verse 41, so again, maybe Jesus is delusional, maybe he's uh, 
just kind of needing affirmation in his life. Verse 41 says, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Jesus says, I'm not on some power trip. I'm not on some trip to kind of, you know, I don't, I don't need affirmation in my life about who I am. You know, that's not what I'm about. But here was the second thing that keeps th- these people from coming to him. Number one was that they weren't willing. Number two is they didn't have the love of God in them. That is the true, you know, uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, maybe it's the gift of tongues. That's how we know someone's saved, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, you know how you know how you know that you're saved? You have the love of God in you. The love of God changes your life. I can't explain it to you. You know, I can't. It's just like a river welling up in you, you know, like a, like a fountain in your heart of, of God's love. Now, now, we got some dry days, don't we? Those of us that are believers know that we're not always great at that. We, we, we fall short. We, we don't love perfectly. I'm there with you. But they, they, the way that they dealt with people, these people that Jesus is speaking to, was clear evidence that they didn't have the love of God in them. They loved who? They loved themselves. So you, you, have, to, you, know, you have to make this choice in your life. Um, you come to Jesus, you get life. It leads you to love other people. This is the great issue we have in the world. We love ourselves. Everything comes down to how it affects me or what about me and and Jesus changes that. Biggest change in my life. He, he helped me to look at other people and to see other people. And to love other people. Still working on it. Those of you that know me, still working on it. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, verse 43, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. You know the saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So if you reject Jesus, some other thing will come along the line and you'll believe that. Or you'll, you'll get into that. Or you'll follow through with that. And this is what the, somebody else comes in his own name. And they oh yes, we believe you. How can you believe, verse 44, who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? third thing, third reason they they don't come to Jesus and accept who he is. Number one, they weren't weren't willing. Number two, they didn't have the love of God in them. Number three, they love the praise of people more than the praise of God. That's a huge issue we have to deal with in our lives, especially for those of us in here that are people pleasers. I think there's just maybe two of us in here. Um, But boy, why do we care so much about what other people think and so little about what God thinks? What are people going to say if we do that? What are people going to say if I carry my Bible to work? What are people going to say? And we are so worried about what people are going to say. Well, that was them. They had a lot. People, oh, they dressed so religious and they did all these religious things. And, and, and they, they, they were the first really, that a boy club. You know, everybody, that a boy. Wait, oh, you guys look great. You're really religious. You know, you're really wonderful. And they loved They ate that up. Gave them their identity. And, but, but it kept them religiosity will keep you from Jesus. If you're so worried about what people are going to think, about how you dress or the way you, if you're so worried about impressing people with your religiousness, that can really keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Because sometimes what God wants you to do makes religious people upset. Do you know that to be true? Because it doesn't fit into their certain rules and their certain regulations. 
and we, we've, we've talked about this before in here. The question is, are you reading and you're seeing what the heart of God is? And then doing that in your life. See, they, they were more concerned with what their committees said. They were more concerned with what their denomination said. They were more concerned with what their neighbors said or, or people. And, and they weren't concerned with God, what God said. Are you concerned with what God says? Do you make it your aim day to day to please him? Isn't that what Paul said? This is, this is our aim, that we want to please him. How can you believe he receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Now, that, you know, we would say, what well, Satan. Satan's the accuser. There's one who accuses you. And the amazing answer that Jesus says is, it's Moses in whom you trust. The very guy you're trying, they, they love the first five books of the Bible. It's called in Hebrew the, the Torah. It's, it's the first five books. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Written by Moses, according to Jesus and many others. And, and they thought, oh man, that's our ticket to heaven. And Jesus said, wait a second. I'm not sure what you're reading, but it's actually Moses who is accusing you. For if you believed Moses, verse 46, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is all over the Bible from cover to cover. In the volume of the book, it's written of him. And even if, if you want to turn back a couple of pages, you can, the, the previous gospel is the gospel of Luke. Just go with me there for, for one minute here. This is Jesus meeting with the, the, the uh, disciples that were leaving Jerusalem. And Jesus comes up to them. Uh, verse 25 of Luke 24. If you, Just a couple of pages back, you can get there. Jesus, this is a great, the whole story is great. You can read this before you go to bed tonight. But uh, he comes up to them and doesn't introduce himself. He says, hey, where are you guys heading? What's going on? Uh, well, there was this guy, Jesus, and... Everybody thought he was going to be something, but it turned out to be nothing. And, you know, so they were very discouraged and heading away from Jerusalem. And verse 25, he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ, the the Savior, the anointed one, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And verse 27 is amazing. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, all through the prophets, He, Jesus, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He was in Genesis chapter 3. I was thinking of Genesis chapter 3 this morning. I went for a walk this morning before uh, church, and there was a baby copperhead right there on the the driveway there. And so I was thinking about Genesis 3, and I stepped on it. I did. It's dangerous. He will, yeah. You're not getting me or my family. So he, I did. I killed the snake. I did. But I was thinking it was biblical. It was Genesis chapter 3. Or, speaking of the seed of the woman, right there in Genesis from the beginning, um, about how he will crush Satan's head. Satan will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. So speaking of Jesus there, Deuteronomy chapter 18, we talked about that. This God's going to raise up a prophet 
And that is mentioned again at the end of Deuteronomy. The la- so from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, to the last chapter of Deuteronomy, that prophet is mentioned again. It says, no one has arisen like a prophet like Moses who hears God's word and speaks for God and does the miracles like Moses did. And Jesus is saying all of those things point to who? They point to me. They point to me. So, you know, you can close your Bibles. Well, I'm going to invite the praise team back up. Here's the thing, folks. Uh, I know this is kind of a, uh, not a real application-based study, but it is in a way, isn't it? I mean, it, it is. It's very important because you've got to nail down in your life who Jesus is. Just as C.S. Lewis stated, you have to nail this down for yourself because maybe you're one of those ones that think, well, I just like going to church. It makes me feel good. And, and that's a good byproduct of church. But that's not why we're here. I just like going to church because I learn a lot when I go there. And that's wonderful too. But if Jesus is not God, then who cares what he said? Then we can disagree with him. Say, well, I believe in this stuff, but I, I don't know if I believe what he said about his coming again. I don't know if I believe what he said about eternal condemnation. And we can't make a buffet Christianity. If Jesus is God, as he says he is, then, then if you disagree with him, you're not disagreeing with a good teacher or just a man. You're disagreeing with God himself. And so I pray this morning, as we sing this final song, you can love him or you can hate him, but you can't ignore him, can you folks? You've got to decide today, if, if God is God, then serve him. If not, do what you want. Do what you want. But if God is God, if Jesus is equal with God, and he makes the claims that he makes, then today is the day you have to decide, I am in or I'm out. Because there's no middle ground for you, is there? There's no middle ground. And the church, we, we in America are a very middle ground, lukewarm group of people, aren't we? But as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. And I will worship the Lord till the day I die. And if I was wrong, so be it. So be it. But I don't think I am. I, don't, I think there's so much evidence. There's so much confirmation So maybe it's you that's not been willing. You know, you just hear week after week and just not willing to surrender. Just not, still that little bit of pride in you. Still that little bit of yourself holding on to your life. And today I want to invite you, as we stand, to, uh, to make that step. To say, I, I believe. And I want this life that's spoken of. I see other people have it. And I want it. And the way to life is in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to invite you down here. If, if you want to um, pray with us to be saved and forgiven and know that your eternal destiny is to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.